Bibles with you tonight, I invite you to open up Psalm 120. <clears throat> yeah, we're past 119. <laughs> hey, we have uh, the next 14 Psalms, which we probably won't all finish tonight. Uh, the next 14 Psalms are uh, all Psalms of Ascent. So Psalms of Ascent are Psalms that uh, were sung as the children of Israel would go to Jerusalem for one of the three feast days, or three mandatory feast days that every available male was supposed to head back to um, Jerusalem. And when they did, along the way, there's songs that they would sing as they make their pilgrimage back home. And so uh, each one uh, has, a, has a, a different way of encouragement for those who are on the journey back. So Psalm 120 deals with the, the, the trials of an expatriate, somebody who belongs one place but lives somewhere else. So the very first Psalm of Ascent is the idea that uh, I wish I was living home, but I'm not living at home. I'm, I'm spread somewhere else. So let's take a look at it. It says, In my distress I cried to the Lord, and He heard me. And every time we begin a prayer or a call out to God, it ought to start with that idea that we're going to the Lord. And it's a prayer of hope. When I cry to the Lord, He hears me. I cry to the Lord. So He, he begins right there, Lord, I'm coming to You. I'm bringing my distress to You. And then He talks of His dependence on God. Look, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. So, total dependence on God's ability to deliver him from his trouble. Now what he's talking about is I basically live in a land of unbelievers. And I'm, I can't wait these three times of the year when I get to go back home to Jerusalem. And so the, kind of the fun thing is uh, when we're on our trip to, to, to Israel, we do the Psalms of Ascent as we come into Jerusalem. So it's a little different. They were walking and we'll be in a bus or van. But uh, the psalm of ascent goes on, and and there, we sing it as we come into the come to the shepherd's gate. When we come to the shepherd's gate to enter into the city, we stop. And the tradition of coming into the shepherd's gate is to stop and have bread and wine before you enter into the shepherd's gate. Interesting, because that kind of coincides with uh, the the communion that Jesus instituted. At the Lord's Supper. So it's interesting. And it happens at the shepherd's gate. A lot of neat traditional things that, that they don't think of. But that we recognize when we go. So, But the point is as we come in. It's our, that's our prayer. Now I can't wait to be home. I just know this is not it. You know wherever we are. This ain't it. This isn't the end all beat all. You know great, great thrill of life to be living here. Much as I love Idaho. I want heaven. There's a home I'm longing for. And that, to me, is what the Psalms of Ascent picture for, for the Jew as they return home. Uh, what shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you, uh, you false tongue? For sharp arrows of the warrior uh, with coals on the broom tree. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, and that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. So here's he saying... Look, I don't know what, God's ultimately the judge and God's going to work it out, right? God knows how to save the, the, or to divide the wicked from the righteous. 
So ultimately, you know, he's leaving that in God's hands. And he says, I, right now I dwell. Now he says, Meshach and, and Kedar. Meshach and Kedar are far apart. So you can't live in those two places. But both of those places are like Gentile cities. It's like saying, I, I live in a world of unbelievers. I live, uh, this is not my home. The place I live in is not my home. I long for something else. I long for some place else. So he says, My soul has dwelt too long with the one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So the idea is, man, it's one of the things that the Bible declares to us here in this life, every day is a battle. And when we get in trouble is when we long to be out of the battle. You've heard me share before, King David was a good king. He was a man after God's own heart. When did he get in trouble? On that time when all the kings would go out to war, and David said, you know, I'm done. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of the battle. I want to stay home. But one of the things that God's Word teaches us is, in essence, every day is a battle on this, in this fallen world. Every day is a battle, and our rest, here our rest, it, we incur our rest in Christ. But ultimately, that's realized when we're with Him together uh, in heaven, right? When we are with Him, the battle is over. Up until that time. So how does Paul encourage us in view of that? He says, well, don't forget to put on the whole armor of God. Don't forget to dress for battle. Don't forget to realize that, that there's going to be a pretty consistent battle in our lives against sin. Yes or no? I mean, if you figured out how to have a day without having the battle with sin, just feel free to let me know, and we'll get it all straight. Or if you figured out how to stop the having having to to battle in a dark world that that uh, hates the truth and loves a lie, but I don't know how to do that. I I can find peace here in my relationship with Christ in. In a sense, there's a sense in which I have peace in Christ and He is my rest. But I realize that's going to be totally uh, understood and, and fulfilled when I see Him face to face. This not my home. This isn't the land of peace. The land of peace is yet to come. And so, this is what this, the first psalm of ascent. Man, I'm, I'm happy to, li- to leave where I live and go home. And then Psalm 121 talks about the hazards of the journey, right? Because they walked. <laughs> so it's a long walk for them. So what's he say? You may, you may be familiar with this psalm. Uh, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From whence comes my help? Where does my help come from? Now when we say that, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, or I lift my eyes up to the hills, there's, there's two senses. The idea that i got to look over those. You know, i got to lift my head up above the hills to, to recognize the place from which my help comes. There's also the sense in which along the journey, as you would travel, you would go through pockets or wilderness areas that were full of robbers. And where do you think the robbers attacked you? They'd wait till you have to walk through a, a seek. So you're kind of walking through this tight valley with high hills on both sides, right? It's easy you're down there, I drop a rock on your head, you know, leave all your stuff, I'm going to take it. 
So the idea could be either of those things, but he says, where, and the important thing is the question, where does my help come from? And in verse 2, he answers it. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, Yahweh. Our help comes from the Lord. First position, the first acknowledgement that He is Yahweh, that He is Lord, is that He is Creator. My help comes from the Lord, Maker of heaven and earth. So the idea is He put all this together. It's all His. He is working in and through creation, but not only is He our Creator in verse 3, He's our sustainer. Not only has he made everything, but, but uh, what is it that Colossians tells us? In him all things consist, right? He's holding it all together. Look, it says, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he keeps Israel. He who keeps Israel neither, uh, shall neither slumber nor sleep. So the idea is, is there ever a time when God's not on the job? When God is is not uh, uh, watching over, in control of the things that are taking place. So, so he is always there for what purpose? To, that he will not allow your foot to be moved. That he keeps you. I mean, those are kind of important promises to me. That God's the one that keeps my feet steady. It's not, it's not me. I just got to surrender to him. I got to know where my help comes from. If I sit around and I labor at how am I okay, I gotta I gotta I gotta get past these robbers, so I gotta have this incredible plan. Or I can say, you know what, I just gotta have an incredible God. And the Lord knows the journey, right? All the way to Jerusalem. The Lord knows my journey all the way home. So I want to trust him. Lord, you are the one who who keeps my feet. What does it say in the Proverbs? Trust in the Lord with how much your heart. Lean into how much of your understanding. Yeah, so it says, uh, lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge Him, and what does He do? Yeah, He keeps your feet. He'll keep your feet. He, he shows you where to walk. He guides us on the road for, for where we're going. So that is ultimately our goal. So, where's my help come from? Creator God. Where's my help come from? Sustainer God. Not only the God who made me, but the God who keeps me. The God who watches over me. And then look what he says in verse 5. More descriptions of of who God is. First, Yahweh, the Lord, is your keeper. He's your keeper. Remember I told you that I don't have a hard time understanding it the other way. We've talked, right, about, you've heard me kind of express how I feel about when the scripture says that we are to keep the law. That the idea is to treasure, that it matters to me, that I cling to it. Why? I wouldn't change that for when the Bible says the Lord's my keeper. What does the Bible tell us the Lord does? He treasures us. He treasures. When Jesus talked about the the man who who, uh, finds a treasure in the field and he sells it all to get that treasure, I, I don't see that as us selling everything we have to gain him. At least that's not the reality of what I see having occurred, what I see having occurred is that Jesus Christ left heaven, the heaven of heavens, in order to come and purchase the treasure in the field, the treasure in the field that he, according to his words, is you and I. His elect, the believer, that that which he has purchased, that's his portion, he says. 
And then when the Bible says, the Lord is my portion, I don't have a hard time going, man, God's my treasure. The Lord is my treasure, the most precious thing in my life. I don't have a hard time understanding that. The flip side of that is a little tougher for me to get, that I'm His. The Lord's your keeper. He treasures you. He holds you. I had uh, an uncle I've shared, I've shared before uh, who died of AIDS. And as he was uh, dying of AIDS, you know, he, he, he kind of had a, a yo-yo um, walk with God, you know, on again, off again. Struggled his entire life with a homosexual lifestyle all the way until he got AIDS. And then nobody wanted him. So he come back home. And we took care of him till he went home to be with the Lord. One of the, I'll never forget one of the comforts that he had because he always wondered, you know, does the Lord forgive me this time? What about this time? Was, was he forgive me this time? I mean, how many times before he won't forgive me before he, he doesn't want me? And so, you know, he was kind of in that place and he's kind of calling on the Lord, you know, and and uh, that night he had a dream. Never forgot the dream. He said he dreamed that he was in a... Uh, that God was... It was, like, it was like when he was a kid again. You know? And God was in a rocking chair. And was holding him in a rocking chair. Just telling him, You're mine. You're mine. Look, if nothing I did saved me, nothing I did lost me. God's my keeper. What did Jesus say? He said, look, my hands are strong. I hold you. And my father, he's mightier than I. And his hands are strong. They hold us. And when you see the picture, it's like Jesus in his hands and the father's hands. No one gets out. No one just falls out of the, the hands of the Lord. God has us god sustains us so where's my help come from the lord my keeper the lord who who keeps me and then the next phrase in verse five the lord is your shade at your right hand now listen to how he does this the lord is is your shade at your right hand the sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night now to me that, those are two different pictures right when I think about the sun shall not strike you by day, the sun's hot. You know, and really I'm, I'm not all that thrilled with beating sun and the heat. So being in a place of shade, oh, that feels great, right? So I get that. That kind of sounds like, like God as a, as a comforter. But then you look at the other idea, the moon at night, well, that's not hot. So it's not a picture of comfort. What is it that the moon at night might, might make somebody nervous about? Maybe it's the idea that, you know, sometimes, you know, that moon's so bright you can see everything, and, and maybe you don't want to be seen by everything. So to me, it's like a picture of, of God as our guardian slash comforter. That he, that we hide in him, but he's also our shade, he's also our comforter, our keeper. So where do I look for my help? Not only to creator God, sustainer God, keeper God, guardian God, comforter God. He's all of those things. So, so 
you know, why would you not <clears throat> want to call on the name of the Lord? Look at verse 7. And the Lord shall preserve you from how much? Oh, that's a lot, right? Then say, the Lord will preserve you from most evil. It says, the Lord, he'll, he'll preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. He's my keeper. I'm in his hands. He's, he's the one who did the work, right? It wasn't me on the cross. He's the one who provides for me. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in. I like that picture. Oftentimes the psalmist uh, uses poetic language to, to describe your going out and your coming in. You know, that when you get up or when you lay down. When you're born, when you die. God keeps you through your whole life. From the beginning to the end. From the time that you open your eyes first to the time we close our eyes. And as what he's saying is, I'm the one who preserves you. And for how long? Look at how long. From this time forth and even forevermore. That long time? So, remember... That the Lord, he, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He hasn't taken the day off or stopped looking. And sometimes we get that way. We think that, that I mean, there are some people, in, in my worldview, the way I see the world biblically, is not the concept of uh, God's started creation, got it all going, and now he's just sitting back and it's just spinning without his influence. And somewhere down the line, God is going to step back into time and, and, and uh, take influence again. I don't see it that way. At least I, I don't see that in Scripture. I see Scripture telling me that, that God is in control, that God is moving, that God is working, that, that God has an ultimate uh, decree or plan or purpose, right, that, that we're all moving toward. And how that all works out, I don't know. People will argue about that until you and I are, are long in the grave or Jesus comes back. Then we won't argue about it anymore. We'll have it figured out. But until then, I, I think God is at it. He's doing, he is fulfilling the purpose for which he created the world. And it isn't just to wind it up like a clock and let it go. But that he's involved from the day... He first said, let there be light, until that final day in the book of Revelation when it says, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. From the beginning to the end, God is forever working within history. So, <clears throat> what's he saying about the Song of Ascent? The Song of Ascent, look, I'm, I'm my, my travel through this place to get home is full of hazards. Anybody realize that? And so as we go through life, there's, there's problems, right? There's trouble. There's, there's uh, gosh, you know, I don't know. But I, somebody used to tell me in our study through the Psalms that life is hard and God is good. That's what the Psalms tell us. Life is hard. And that's what this ascent says. Life is hard. So where do I look? I look to Him. He's my creator, sustainer, preserver, my keeper, my guardian, my comforter. His hands are on me. So this 
is the song that they would sing in their journey. And to me, it's a great psalm to look at because to me it just symbolizes my journey from birth to, to the time I see Jesus face to face. And through this life, <clears throat> there's going to be trouble. But when there is, where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Okay, Psalm 122. So we have the trials, right, of living um, among unbelievers and longing to be home in, the, in, the, in Jerusalem, in the land of peace, and the hazards of the travel, right, from where we live to, to where we want to be able to spend eternity. And then Psalm 122, there's a title for that. It's, At Last Home. I'm there. So look how it starts. It says, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. <clears throat> Let us go. Here we go. Let's go together. For our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So the picture is, the journey's over, and we just walk through that gate. And literally, they're gates. So if you come with me to Jerusalem, we come up to the shepherd's gate, we walk there. You park, walk up to the gate, and it's a gate. Just like you would picture a big, two-sided gate. Solid, uh, like, solid, my, my brain wants to say steel, but it might not have been steel. But anyway... Well, huh? Is it? You remember? It could be. Bullet holes everywhere. That's the other thing I remember. Oh, don't be afraid. They're, I'm sure they're very old, bullet holes. So, <laughs> so they weren't like hitting the wall while we were standing there, but you can see where they had. So we, anyways, we come up to, to, that, to that gate and, and the gate opens up. And you know, and you've traveled and you've been to Caesarea by that time, you've been to Caesarea by the sea, and you've seen some of the things in the outskirts, right? But there's nothing like coming into Jerusalem. That place, you know, 2,000 years after Christ, they're still fighting over. For what? When you see it, you're going to go, what in the world are they fighting over? Well, I'll tell you, but it's God's city that symbolizes that. And so... Men fought over it ever since. But you come walking into that city, you pass through those walls, and you, you're like, I don't know, it just feels like you're coming home. It's pretty cool. I've I, I never, never been afraid a moment in Jerusalem, and it's probably one of the dicier places I've ever been, you know, but never been afraid. It just felt like going home. It's a shadow, right? It's a shadow of the reality uh, that one day we'll have in Christ. So that's what he's saying. Our feet, they've stood at the gate. Here we are, in the gate. Jerusalem is built like a city. It's compact together. That's exactly what we're going to see. Compact together. It's no big place. That's not no big place. A walled city, you'll be blown away how small it is. Uh, and look what it says. Where the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So what's he talking about? Why, why was everybody going to Jerusalem? So they could go to the testimony, the ark. That was the testimony. So you could go to the temple to worship. What happened at the ark? That's the mercy seat, right? What happened? They had applied the blood. And what did that mean? God had passed over our sin, our failure, right? 
And so they wanted to go worship. They wanted to go praise God. They wanted to be thankful. They wanted to make their offerings and give their thanksgiving offering and, and do all of those things. So they would, they would get excited about going up, which is all the way to the top. So pretty much the peak until they built the Antonio Fortress that looks over the, the temple area. The temple was it. It was the top of it all. From it, you saw, you could see everything. You looked down from the temple to the palace of the king. What did that say? Yeah, this is the king here, but that's the real king up there. That's the real one. Well, here it is. They're going up. For what? For thrones are set there for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. And then he calls in verse 6. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And here's specifically how they call you to pray. Here's what they, they're looking for. May they prosper who love you. So praying uh, for their economy. And I think it works. You know, when we, look at, uh, when we look at Jeremiah, remember we looked at Jeremiah as we were going through Daniel, and Jeremiah said to those who were going to Babylon, pray for the peace of what? Babylon, right? So, so we're supposed to pray for the peace where we're at. We're supposed to remember Jerusalem, and we're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem as well. But I think it has application to home as well. Pray for the economy. They prosper who love you. May they prosper who love you. And then prayer for safety. Look at it. Peace be within your walls. That's crazy because Jerusalem means a city of peace. And that city's known more war than just about any other city on earth. Crazy, huh? Woe to them who give bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Good for evil, evil for good. Here's a city of peace, but the city of man has been in rebellion against the city of peace almost since the beginning. And then not only to pray for peace within the walls, but prosperity within your palaces. So the idea is like praying for the politics, that the, the king would be a wise king, that he would be a good king, that we could, we could trust in those things uh, taking place. Also for the sake of my brethren and, and companions... Um, then he says, and I, now, I will now say, peace be within you. So not only peace within the walls or safety, but peace within the people. The people will get along. Yeah, you know Jerusalem's divided into four quarters? Three quarters. Can't be, four, can't be three quarters, that'd be thirds. So the four parts are Arab, Jew. Is, is it Romanian? Romanian and Christian. So it's divided. And you'll be walking through and they'll say, okay, you're in the Christian quarter. Okay, now you're in the Jewish quarter. Now you're in the Arab quarter. Now you and I, we won't be able to tell. But they know. They know where the borders are, right? For what's going on. But it just cracks me up. The oldest church in the world is the Church of the Nativity. The Church of the Nativity is in Bethlehem. It's built over the shepherd cave, the shepherd cave, where Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus lay. And that church has at least two, and it might also have four different congregations that are all part of it. So it's divided. Be somewhat confusing on a Sunday, right? Go to worship and, okay, what... Which part are we supposed to sit in? And they have four different preachers. So, 
I don't know what service is like in there, but it's a wild place to go see. Oldest church on earth. Oldest place in Bethlehem built over to the cave stables. Pray for the peace, that the people would get along. You know, the Bible tells us when that's going to happen, right? When's that going to happen? When the king comes back. When we have the return of the king. When Jesus returns, what happens? There'll be peace. There'll be peace. No more division. No more division in that place, but utter and total peace. And then in verse 9, Psalm 122, Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So praying specifically for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm finally home. And because this is the home, the, uh, the place of the temple, the place where we come to worship, then I will remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so, the psalm of ascent at last home. Then we come to Psalm 123. Psalm 123 uh, is uh, all about our longing eyes. Our longing eyes. Look at it. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. We always have to begin... At the greatest point. If we're going to be looking at struggle, trial, uh, difficult journey, whatever's going on in life. Man, you've got to start with God. Don't start with your trouble. It makes your trouble too big. Start with God and then move to your trouble. Then your trouble will be a little better. It'll be, it'll be you'll have it more in perspective. This is what he does. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell... In the heavens, always beginning with the greater. And this is what he says in verse 2. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, or as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. So, again... The idea the Jew returning to the land, he's coming back to Jerusalem, uh, and it is pretty much always in some kind of trouble with somebody. Uh, if we look at the time of Christ, it's full of Roman soldiers, right? And so as, they, as they're coming in and they're thinking, man, I, I'm going to look my, my eyes up to you, Lord. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. There's all this trouble around here, but you know what? I'm just going to look to you until you have mercy on us. However long that takes. It's always too soon to quit. Always too soon to give up. Because change is right around the corner. That next step is the step that's going to deliver you. That next choice, that next word, that next thing, whatever it is. Keep your eyes on the Lord until he has mercy on us. And then look at verse 3. So he says, have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. So the idea is, look, we got trouble all around us, and everybody hates us, and nobody loves us. I guess I'll go eat a worm, right? <laughs> so the idea is, hey, man, it's, it's just hard. We're, we're in contempt. Look what he said in verse 4. Our soul is exceedingly filled with scorn of all those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. So the idea is everybody looks down on us. Everybody's looking down on us, but what is the psalmist saying? I look up to you. 
Because it's not about how everybody else sees me. It's not about all of that. It's about you. It's about, it's about glorifying you and knowing that you are the one I lift my eyes to. My creator, my sustainer, my keeper, my guardian, my comforter. The one who preserves me. So in the midst of the trouble, I just keep my eyes on you. You guys ever heard that concept before? In the midst of the trouble, in the, in the middle of the struggle, I just keep my eyes on you. Lamentations chapter 3. I love this section. I, I got it in my Bible right next to Psalm 123. It says this. In Lamentations 3, uh, 30 to 33, it says, uh, Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him, and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercy. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. The idea is that all those struggles and things that are happening aren't just random, empty events. That God's working in them all. And what God's working might be in me and what God's working might be in my neighbor. But God's working. So I'm just going to keep my eyes on him until it changes. Because he says that, that why sorrow may come in the evening, what's the next part? Joy comes in the morning. What does that mean? It's too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. We keep our eyes on him, keep our eyes on the prize, and God will bring us through. Then, we have Psalm 124. Another psalm of ascent. Listen how it begins. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, can you hear him? The, the guy begins it. David starts. If it wasn't the Lord who was on our side, and then he says, let all the people shout, and all the people shout it back to him. If it wasn't the Lord that was on our side then we'd be toast. See how short I made that psalm for you? Listen to how he describes it. When men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul, and the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. I would have drowned, I'd been washed away, if it wasn't that the Lord was on our side. What does Romans 8 declare to us? If God is with you, who can be against you? Is the Lord on your side? Yeah, that's what the Bible declares. What can separate you from the love of God? So nothing can separate you from the love of God? He goes through a big long list there in Romans 8, doesn't he? What's he talking about in Romans 8? He's talking about salvation. Absolutely, unequivocally talking about salvation. Go back to Romans 8, 28. And read it all. He's talking about those who are justified, those who are sanctified, those who are glorified. That God's hand has been with them and upon them all the way through their life. And nothing will separate them from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what this psalmist is declaring. He's saying, man, if, it, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, which of us would make it on our own merit? Which of us make it because we're good enough? We're smart enough. We're bright enough. We're, we've got it all together enough. 
Yeah, if you've been listening to me, if you listen to me at all, you will hear me say that we are all broke. We're all broken. And God's the one who builds up the broken. He puts us together. He gives us strength when we need strength. He gives us compassion when we need compassion. He pours out love in our life through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what the Word of God teaches us? Every attribute that we need to express, God gives us. God does it. The Lord's on our side. If it wasn't for Him, where would we be now? Yeah, that's what I think. We'd be toast. So what's it say in verse 6? So blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Now the Lord did that, right? He didn't give us over. He didn't have... He... (laughs) All day long, he says, I stretch out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I'm kind of thankful that he does it all day long. Because I wasn't there the first day. You know, I don't know about you guys. Maybe you guys, the first time you heard about the Lord, you're like, yep, I'm in. Nope. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. 13 years, if you said... God was on the left, I went right. 13 years I ran as hard as I could. And I don't mean just mildly in the opposite direction. I'm thankful that God reached out all day long. Because he did exactly what 2 Peter 3.9 says. The Lord is long-suffering toward us, desiring that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I'm thankful God gave me time. That he didn't just give me up to the fowler's trap. That that wasn't the final mark of my life. That that God was working and moving uh, in my midst. And then in verse 8 he says, Our help is in the name of the Lord. And and where does he refer it to? Who made what? Heaven and earth. So he'd come right back around, right? Where do I lift my eyes up? To my creator, my sustainer, my keeper. My guardian, my comforter, my preserver. Yeah, that, that's pretty much all of it, right? I mean, we, we look to God for, uh, for every bit of all those things that we need. That's a miracle. I got four minutes. I can get one more in. Watch. You say, no, yeah, I can. It's only five verses. Watch. It goes like this. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. So if I trust in the Lord, what's that mean? He keeps my feet. Remember that? Remember the psalm we talked about? My feet won't be moved. What's another way of saying that? Oh, if I trust in the Lord, I'll be like Mount Zion. Mountains don't move. Mountains stay still. They'd stand there. And that's what he's saying. There's going to be stability for those who trust in the Lord, which cannot be moved, but abides for how long? Forever. So whenever we talk about Mount Zion, whenever we talk about that mountain that shall not be moved, that's eternal in the heavens, I think it's a reference to the kingdom of God, right? Because when the kingdom of God's established, what takes it away? Nothing. Nothing removes that kingdom. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. Is there ever a time God's not with you? 
Oh, we already discussed that, right? So he said, there's never a time when God's not around you. You guys remember, what's his name? I always do, I always mess him up, John. Elisha or Elijah? The army around him, he opens the eyes of, of his partner. Elisha? So, one day I'm going to get those two guys straight. Elisha, Elijah. Why they, it's like people naming twins something that rhymes. You know what I mean? If it was Elijah and, you know, Mephibosheth, I'd be fine. Those two names don't sound the same. But Elijah and Elisha, they messed me up. Anyway, remember he had the, the armies coming against him and his servant was saying, Oh, what are we going to do, man? We're surrounded. And he says, Oh, what's wrong with you, man? The people who are for us are more than what's for them. And the guy looks back outside and says, What are you talking about? All I see is the bad guys. So the prophet says, okay, God opened his eyes so he can see. And what did he see? Oh, the Lord was encamped around them. And all of a sudden he realized, oh, I don't have to be afraid. Amen. Right? Seeing or unseeing, the same is true, isn't it? Whether we see him or whether we don't, we don't have to be afraid. The armies of the Lord are encamped around us. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest... Uh, on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. You remember I told you life is war all the time? Did you hear it in that verse? He says, the scepter of the wicked, they're always busy. There's always going to be wicked with us until Jesus Christ returns. I'll come. Because if there's not a battle in our life, what happens to us? We reach out our hands to iniquity. So the Lord says, I want, I just, I'm just keeping you in a place where you trust on me. That's what I want. Amen. Look, keep me in a place where i got to trust on you. Whatever that place looks like, I want to be in a place where I have to trust in you. Where i got to put my... The, 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 probably the, one of the times in my life I was closest to the Lord was 30 seconds after I was the furthest away from Him. I sat on a couch in my little two-bedroom trailer in... Uh, uh, Midway Park in North Carolina, just outside of Jacksonville. And the uh, Marine Corps had just told me I was HIV positive. And I went in and told my wife, sitting on that couch, we had hot pink carpet and, and red drapes. It was hideous. <laughs> and duck paneling. Duck, you remember that duck paneling? Anybody remember? Nobody's old enough, probably. You know, wood paneling that had ducks etched in it, flying ducks. Yeah, that's what I had. It was gorgeous. Built on a big nest of roaches the size of our children. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm sitting in that place, and God took me to a place where I could do nothing. Because there, there was nothing then. Back in those days, that's it. There's nothing. There's no shot, no pill, nada. I had one thing. I had the Lord. And I had an opportunity I'm thankful for to let go of my sin, turn in repentance toward God. And it was like, okay, I did everything to screw this up and break it. So I don't know how long I got left, God. I'll give you the rest. It's been quite a while. Three kids, 30 years of marriage. But none of you would have picked that for me that day. But God knew. He knew I had to have a little trouble in my life. If there's not trouble in my life, 
I'll go down the wrong road. He's my keeper. He made me. He knows how I work, right? He knows how you work too. And God will allow in your life the things necessary for you and those around you you whom you love to keep you in the place that God wants to have you. And then look at verse 4. He says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. Now, how many of those people are there? Yeah, that's that's a short list, right? Uh, As for such as turn aside their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. May peace be on Israel. So look what he's saying. God, for the righteous, take care of the righteous. Take care of the righteous. For those who in the midst of all this trouble just decide they want to take off and live in the land of iniquity, then deal with those guys too. What's he saying? God knows how to take care of the righteous, to deliver the righteous, and how to deliver the wicked. One the judgment, one the salvation. Who knows? God does, right? Who's the keeper? God is. Well, you and me, that ain't our job, is it? That's not my job, that's God's job. God's got that. What's my job? Do the things Jesus told me to do. Right? Share the gospel. I don't know, the next moment, the next time I talk to somebody, it might be the day. It might be that some guys I've been talking to for, I've been here seven years, and I've been talking to, saying the same thing for seven years, and they're still in the same cotton-picking place. And you feel like, my, I'm not, I have actually said, I'm not talking to them no more. I feel like Jeremiah. That's it. I'm done. They're knuckleheads. They're doomed. (laughs) And then God says to me, all day long, I reached out my hands to you. And when I was doing that to you, Jackie, I promise you, there were guys who were saying, that's a lost cause. My wife went to a counselor when we were in the Marine Corps. And the counselor said, after she told him the story, the counselor said, run. He will never change. Kind of thankful she didn't listen. But God said, all day long, I waited for you. So God knows how to separate the righteous from the wicked. The wheat and the tares, who divides that? God does it, right? He says, whoa, 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 wait till the end, wait till the harvest. The angels will gather it up. I know who's who. I know who's who. In the meantime, you just keep giving them the gospel. You keep giving them the gospel. Follow that picture of the Lord reaching out and watch God deliver the impossible, right? I don't know. At the end, all I know is I'll be able to stand before God and say, I didn't give up, I didn't quit. And if they rejected to their last breath, that ain't on me. I did my part. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.